It's time to accelerate. Hi, I'm your host, Andy Paul. Join me as I host conversations with the leading experts in sales, marketing, sales automation, sales process, leadership, management, training, coaching, any resource that I believe to help you accelerate the growth of your sales, your business, and most importantly, you. Hello, and welcome to the show. I am excited to talk with my guest today. Joining me is Kevin Crane. He's host of his own podcast, The Everyday MBA, and he's an expert in creating killer knowledge leadership content. You know, we're living in the age of content, and if you're in business, regardless of the industry or irrespective of the size of your company, creating compelling content that helps differentiate you and your company in the eyes of your potential prospects is an absolute must, an essential part of any plan to grow your business. So how you go about creating this content is really important, and my guest today, Kevin Crane, is going to help us sort it all out. So Kevin, how are you doing? I'm doing great, Andy. Thanks a lot for having me. Well, thanks for joining us. So before we get into the detail about content and so on, take a minute and introduce yourself. Well, thank you. Yeah, I'm Kevin Crane. I am the host of Everyday MBA and um, the proprietor of Crane Communications Group. As you mentioned, I'm a writer and a content creator and a podcaster, and I help folks create knowledge leadership content for themselves and their businesses and to further their success. So uh, I'm curious about the term. You use knowledge leadership content. I mean, usually we hear this this phrase, thought leadership content. So in your mind, is there a difference between the two? Well, I guess it's a bit semantics, but knowledge leader it, to me is a person um, – yeah, you could call it a, a thought leader is the same, but a knowledge leader is a person that's adding value to the world that has a leadership position uh, as 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 an expert resource, one that folks come to um, for advice or or inspiration, and uh, you know that's why I think knowledge is perhaps a little better term for it. Yeah, well, I like it. I mean, I hadn't really thought about it until prepping for the interview, and I was thinking, gosh, you know, thought leadership maybe perhaps is just a little too theoretical. Right, or is knowledge is something that combines or the practical with the with the theory, if you will. I guess as a consumer, I, I'm certainly interested in people's thoughts, but I'm interested in becoming educated and, and learning knowledge. And so, uh, from that point of view, you know, I'm looking to gain knowledge, uh, not necessarily always uh, hear everyone's thoughts. <laughs> <laughs> so it's okay to give me the theory, but give me something I can actually do with it, right? Yes. So yes. you you identify seven characteristics of effective knowledge leadership content or thought leadership content, if you will. But I mean, I like to go through those because they're really interesting, and and I actually I had some questions about them as as we go through them. So mm-hmm. the first you talk about is the content. The first characteristic of the seven characteristics that effective content needs to have is one is it needs to be value add. Now that yes. seems somewhat little self-evident on some hands, but maybe not. So, I mean, tell us exactly what you meant by what is value add in this this, this case. Well, it, yeah, it may seem self-evident, but <clears throat> in fact, my opinion is that most of the content being created today uh, and being put out isn't necessarily value-added content. It's a lot of clutter. Um, I have many clients, I work for many, many clients, Fortune 100 companies all the way down to individuals and small startups. And they're all interested in creating content for one reason or another. Um, It's not always thought leadership content. It's not always value-added content. I have one client now, a big, big company I won't name, but they're very interested in having me create content and get it out by the end of the year, which is in just the next few weeks. Um, Yet we really haven't really defined why that content needs to be created, what the value is to it. 
Um, what and, the value and so, is to the consumer, the person. To actually, the consumer. Why exactly. are we even, you know, what are we saying and why are we saying it? Those questions have still not yet been answered, but yet we want to c- create all of this, this content, this yeah. clutter. We got to get it out there. It's got to be a blog. We got to have a white paper. We have social media. And, and, and it's like, so, who cares? Who cares? Right. I mean, so who cares? Right. So to be honest, um, you know, as a content creator, I'm happy to be paid to create content. Um, not always does it fulfill all of my ideals and what it should be. I'm contracted to do so, and if uh, if my if my customer wants me to create content and get going, then that's what I'll do. But uh, my question really is, what is the value that is being provided by this content? If it doesn't have a value to our recipient, our reader, our listener, then isn't it then just amounting to more chatter? Um, and so, what I mean by that is content that that is value add brings something to your reader or your consumer either some sort of knowledge now that is transferred to me or some sort of inspiration uh maybe it helps me in some practical ways and i know you do this andy some very practical advice things that folks can take action on that that provides value that may or may not necessarily overtly position me or you or whoever um, in a marketing way. It's, it's a slower sort of thing. We're not saying, here's the value, you should buy our product. <laughs> That's not what we're talking about. No, but it's, the value comes based on where the buyer is in the stage of, of their buyer's journey, right? I mean, they could be mm-hmm. right at the beginning, they're beginning to gather information, maybe identify what their needs might be. And right. there's content that's certainly appropriate at that stage that's value-add. Perfect. And you're a perfect example of, of all of that um, and how that works. So... I believe that your philosophies are exactly point on with that because uh, it has to have some sort of resonance to uh, your recipient at the time of their need. And for me to pay attention to you when it comes time to buy a product or engage your services, I believe there needs to be a level of trust and credibility built there. And how am I going to do that if I'm not providing value to you as a potential customer? It's more likely that if I'm not doing that, especially early on in that cycle or that funnel part, um, I'm just going to start ignoring you as someone that's just providing a bunch oh, of chatter that I'm not interested exactly, in. Exactly. Exactly. And you can translate this for people that are listening to the show and they're thinking about you know, starting to put together a content marketing plan and, and what's the plan for developing value-added content is think about it. As the, and I, I talk about this from a sales perspective, even when you're a sales rep talking to a prospective buyer, is that you know, they invest some of their time in you, right? So think about your content from the same thing person reading is going to invest some of their time. And if there's nothing of value for them there, then the next time you have a content piece, they're not going to give you any time. Well, and isn't that always the, the principle behind sales? So if I'm sitting down with, with a customer and I'm trying to you know find a way to do business, and that's fine, um, why would they do business with me? What does my product or service bring to them that gives them value, that makes their job or their lives easier? That Now we all of a sudden have a, a start of a need. Right, yeah. something that's a real need that they really want. It's a whole lot easier to sell someone something when they really want it. <laughs> when they really don't want it, it's almost impossible. Yeah. So, so I mean, yeah, you have to think about that content from the beginning as you write a piece. Unlike the customer you're talking about, is it has to have value. You need to be able to identify what the value is going to be to the consumer. And if you don't do that, and then you can't see that in that piece, then don't, for God's sake, don't publish it. Whatever it is, you know, it's a video or a blog. Right. Just don't do it. And I, I talk about it in one of my blog pieces is uh, you know empty sales calories. I call it where people read or people publish and people consume, 
at least once, you know, lots of blog articles and so on that, that don't fit mm. any of the characteristics that we're going to talk about here today, starting with no value add. And I, I call that empty sales calories and just try to avoid mm. that. Absolutely. Couldn't agree more. All right. So the next thing you talk about is is make sure the content must be actionable. Not Now, I interpret that to mean that effective content can't just be theoretical, right? I mean, and you, we're talking about the difference, again, between thought leadership and knowledge and knowledge having some practical bent to it. So for for content of value, you not only have to say why you should do it, but you also have to give the how. Absolutely. And it's going to be a lot more value added to me if there is something actionable I can do, <laughs> right? I mean, that's part of what it, making it value add. And one of the things that I do purposely with my podcast, Everyday MBA, is to sum up each interview with five action items that folks can do. And my pattern is starting today and for, for the rest of the week and beyond to take advantage of whatever we're talking about. Done it with your interview on my show. Mm -hmm. Lots of great ideas came out of that. Lots of great actionable items. And I got to tell you, Andy, uh, it takes extra effort for me to create those and go through there and think that it, it, it's extra time that I'm not compensated for. But it is that value added part because now listeners, if they choose, can actually take action on those five items or whatever. And I'm building that value add, that credibility and so forth. Now, with with a sales kind of uh, approach, of course, what's the call to action, right? <laughs> what do you want your reader to do when they read your your content or listen to your content or whatever? What is it that you want them to feel? What is it that you want them to physically do? Um, maybe the call to action or the actionable part is for them to just be feeling the way that you do. It might be a, a maybe a political kind of thing or a, uh, an opinion changing thing that you want that action to be a change of opinion. Or maybe it's the next action is, is as simple as, uh, you know, enlisting for that next uh, webinar that you're putting on about your product, you know, the simple standard sorts of calls to action. Um, or what is it that you want your readers to do or your listeners to do in terms of building their own strategies? What's their next call to action? What's the next best step? Now that I'm listening to Andy Paul and I'm inspired, now what do I do? Right? And so without that leading on, you're missing a huge part of the equation. Yeah, and I think part of that also can be summarized just as, as you said, a, a feeling, but as curiosity. Let's say define that feeling as curiosity, right? As you've done your job in content, if you've give, also given somebody, maybe it's not hey, go out today, you need to do these two things, but or these two things. So one of it could be is that, you know, maybe they're thinking, maybe I should be doing these things, right? Yes. I mean, that, well, that, can, that can be as powerful and cause action to be taken. And how much content you see, I, I know I see it every day, that is not value-added and doesn't have anything that I can take action on. So oh, yeah, what's the point? What's the point? I've read this, I don't really have any value in it and it doesn't compel me to do anything so again why did we bother to create it and clutter the world with it <laughs> um, well, if and it's i wonder about it. that because i've got a couple episodes on on my fridays of every friday i've got a standard guest bridget gleason who joins me on what i call frontline fridays and bridget's a vp at a high profile startup in silicon valley and and sometimes we take on some of those uh, blogs that seem to have no value mm -hmm. and deconstruct them because, you know, there are people that follow it and, and they're not getting anything out of it. And I would say that you're taking a risk when you issue content like that that, that that doesn't really provide any value, is not actionable. 
then you're really risking a downside to where now I'm going to maybe consider you to be someone that I'm going to mute in my stream. Well, yeah, right? interesting example. Whatever. Is, yeah, I was talking to somebody who's at a company, a software company, and I won't identify because the person who's the subject story will, will identify themselves readily enough. But they were saying that that they were surveying their customers about, you know, they sent out newsletters, a software company sent out newsletters, you know, in disciplined fashion every week and marketing emails and so on. They surveyed their customers about how they liked their content. And the customers said, basically, there's no value in it at all. In fact, the only content from your company <laughs> we pay attention to is this guy in your engineering team that sends out his own newsletter about your product. And we consume that voraciously. Because so, there's value. Because there is value. Right? And action. Right. Yes. There's nothing else in the... Okay. So next next element you talk about, it, and this one you need to explain to me a bit, is, is use the word authentic. Okay, value add, actionable. Now, the third thing is the content has to be authentic. Now, what did you mean by that? Well, especially for folks that want to be perceived as a knowledge leader, right? Um, I'm trying to be authentic now. In fact, I'm, I, I'm maybe saying things that I may have considered something to be guarded about saying only a few months ago because I, I want to just be truthful, authentic, and and upfront about the way I feel. You're asking me my opinion, so I'll give it to you. Um, uh, authentic. How many times do you hear content like, uh, I, uh, you know, it, it's, it's, the, it's the best product that will, you know, it will improve your life in, in these grand ways. You know, you mm-hmm. can just tell it's BS, I guess right. is what I'm saying. We guarantee, it, I, saw, I saw one the, a few months ago for sales. We guarantee 321% improvement. And I'm sitting there going, okay, it wasn't no. 300%, just 321%. It was so precise that you're like, ah, that's such BS. It's, it's, yes. And you know it when you read it, you know. In other words, I guess what I'm getting at is here is, you know BS when you hear it, right? Mm-hmm. Everybody does. Mm-hmm. So when you write it, you should see it for yourself too. I mean, is it really authentic? Are you really trying to be helpful? Is it something that you do believe in? Or are you just blowing smoke? And so many companies and individuals, they just blow smoke just to put content out and just to say, well, we've got to say something about our product. And do you, I had a client come to me uh, just this week and they said, do you have anything we can put in a press release? Because we've got uh, only certain amount of press releases left in our service until the end of the year, and we're we're gonna we're gonna lose you know if we don't put something out, right? <laughs> well, let's, yeah. So, dude, what am I supposed to do? Just you know, so we all showed up for work. We had perfect attendance record this week. <laughs> we did. So, you know, is that really going to be an authentic communication, or is it going to be something that you cobble together, kind of BS a little bit, um, just to put something out? That's what I'm getting at. It's, it's there's no authentic motivation behind it, or purpose, or value you uh, or anything really of importance to say it's just again sort of chatter out in the world that you know i don't think is going to help anybody no and i think the lesson for people listening that have thinking about creating content or wondering why they're not creating more content is is that if you are the slightest bit uncomfortable right if there's just a little bit of something saying to you well you know like 321 percent you know somebody's really got challenges for that then again it's probably not the right thing to put out it's probably not authentic. So, and, I, and, and, and customers are skeptical of claims anyway, right? Yes. So if you're going to make a claim, for goodness sakes, make it something that, that seems possible. And for individuals, I think authentic can really resonate. Um, say an individual like Andy Paul. Um, 
you resonate or someone else would resonates more brightly, more loudly and more shines more brightly, the more authentic that you really are as a person. Right. And so and you, you, people get that. Um, some of the knowledge leaders that we look to are even outrageous, like a uh, Gary Vanderchuk or someone mm-hmm. like that. Mm-hmm. And I, I think that's authentic or whatever. Well, it's he, certainly, he's, but he is very authentic, right? I, I mean, mean, men, you know, what you get, uh, Jeffrey Hazlett, you know, right. uh, think big, act bigger, you know, that's Jeffrey, right? Now, you know, Jeffrey could act more like what you'd expect or be more circumspect or whatever, or he could just wear his boots and be the cowboy and do his thing. And what happened when he started doing that? He became more noticed and became things good started happening. And so I think for all of us, this whole idea of being authentic to ourselves and really, um, you know, portraying uh, a knowledge leader that is really you, I think is, is a powerful advantage. I agree. I agree. Okay, we're going to take a short break here. Now, before we go to the break, though, I'm gonna I'm gonna test you a little bit here, because you're a business owner, right? Yeah. So I'm gonna ask you a question that I've asked all of my guests so far, and Grant, a lot of them have been you know sales experts and so on, but you're a business owner, so this this is something you should be able to answer here. So here's the, here's a hypothetical scenario. I'll get your answer after we come back from the break. So you've been hired as a new sales manager at a company whose sales are stagnating and desperately need to be turned around. And senior management really has got to focus on you. So you come on board. What are the two things you would do in the first week that could have the biggest impact? So think about that, and we'll come back after the break. My guest today, Kevin Crane, will be right back. Hi, this is Andy. Connect and Sell is used by sales reps at nearly a 1,000 companies, including hundreds of technology startups and several Fortune 500 companies, to overcome the challenges of getting prospects on the phone. Companies using Connect and Sell grow their revenues faster by enabling their sales reps to have more sales conversations in 90 minutes than they could otherwise achieve in an entire week. Connect and Sell can be deployed directly to your sales reps, or you can take advantage of their outbound on-demand service, which delivers qualified prospect meetings scheduled directly on your sales reps' calendars. Visit connectandsell.com to learn more about how Connect and Sell can start filling your pipeline today. Welcome back. Joining me today is my guest, Kevin Crane. He is the host of the great podcast, Everyday MBA. I'm not saying that just because I was on it, but I was. I had a great time. There's great guests he has on it, as well as he's uh, founder of the Crane Group, to specialize in content creation, compelling content creation for corporate clients. So before the break, I'd ask you a question. Hypothetical scenario. You're a new sales manager at a company whose sales, a company that desperately needs to turn their sales around. What two things would you do in the first week that would have the biggest impact? Well, that's a good question. I think two things. Um, number one, I would ask, I'm the sales manager, so I have a sales team. Mm-hmm. I would ask that entire sales team, perhaps each individually or as a group or both, what they think we should do. I would turn my role around and say, you lead me. Tell me what you think. Mm-hmm. Because often great ideas are left unheard in organizations because of just the culture or the, the pecking order or whatever. Sometimes folks have great ideas that they've been trying to get attention but haven't. Um, I know as a consultant, when I've come into organizations, that's generally the first thing I do because a lot of great ideas are already there. They just haven't been noticed. So I'd, I'd do that, number one, see what came out, and then you know make a judgment about what I thought was good and what, what, what I would, wouldn't mm-hmm. do. Mm-hmm. Then I would also look to do something different, completely different than what we've done in the past. If we're 
<laughs> clearly, if we're going in the downward direction, then what we're doing now isn't necessarily working too well. Um, so what can we do that would be the opposite of that? <laughs> uh, and indeed, maybe be something, you know, purposely different or, or radical or attention getting or to a different demographic or something uh, along those lines. So look for something different. Okay, great. I like it. All right. So um, we just gotten through talking about making your content authentic. We've talked, gone through value add. Uh, we've gone through actionable. We've gone through authentic. Next on your list was credible. Now, to me, mm. it, this is interesting because you know, credibility is really in the eye of the holder, right? I mean, it's something that's perceived by the receiver or the, the reader, if you will. So what are the keys for making content credible? Well, again, it's kind of that BS meter. You know, we talked about in the authentic part, but credible. Oh, you mentioned uh, it's going to improve by 301% or something. That didn't resonate as credible to you, right? No. Um, now, how do you do that? Well, maybe you recouch that same figure. Maybe you say, you know, a recent research from, uh, you know, uh, IDC reports that, you know, the average increase was 301%. You can do that too. Maybe your results may vary, but you can do that too. And here's how. So, so, pull, so pulling in research and, and sources other than yourself, I think is what you're saying. is Sources is, other than yourself. Right. But also, but more than just spitting stats out, which we like to do, and, and it helps. But also the sort of, you, you maybe heard where I said, well, and you can do it too, or your results may vary, but you can do it too, and here's how. So in other words, you know, hey, we're with you. I have my arm around you. It's like, hey, it's 301%. I don't know. Could be 299, could be 100%. I don't know. It's all good. Your results will vary, but here's how you do it. And so that lends a credibility to the discussion, whereas before we were just spitting out a stat that didn't have any attribution, or we might have spit out a stat with some attribution, but it was really sort of arcane and isolated, whereas we mix it all together in a, in a more cohesive discussion, the credibility, I think, goes up. Yeah, so I mean, certainly, yeah, third-party validation certainly helps in terms of, as you said, research or stats, even social proofs. I mean, if they're available and it's relevant to what you're writing about, can also be a way to add credibility to your content. Credibility, and as possible, I know I write a lot of content for uh, organizations and corpora corporations, and as possible, let me let's let our customers do our talking for us, and you know the old boring case study has been around forever. However, um, so much content is created without that customer attribution. In other words, we could be writing this wonderful white paper about your product or service, solution brief, and giving stats and really explaining some value-added steps and all of that. Uh, but still, it's in isolation from anyone that's done it in the real world. And if you're cre creating content to resonate with a potential customer, wouldn't you love to have an existing customer that's happy testifying that, yes, indeed, this is what we did. These were some of our results, and that builds credibility as well. Um, and one of the things that I've been doing for my clients, in addition to writing that kind of content, is doing audio interviews <laughs> with, with customers, just like we're doing now. But I could be saying, Andy, you know, you adopted XYZ product six months ago. Can you tell us a little bit about some of the results? And then you go, I love XYZ product. It saved me you know, 301%. <laughs> sure. Well, yeah. <laughs> there three, you go. There, those are 321. Well, I yes. think that that really sort of summarized a lot of that in what I would say is that to get credibility in your content is you need to incorporate stories into it. And, you know, stories about your customers, stories about 
um, well, cost, let's how start with customers, right? How it works so that people can see themselves you know, in that, in that content, right? They can see themselves in the story. So suddenly they can start relating to it in a way that if you're, they won't be able to do if you're just sort of spraying uh, facts and figures at them. That is just such a great comment, Andy. You're so right. And in fact, as a writer, what I might do is instead of saying companies can save 321%, I might say you can save 321%. It's just a slight change, you know, and as you read through content in the future, is it, is it couched that way? Well, you know, sort of off over here, you know, companies or organizations can do it or you, is it you? So when you're speaking to that person, speak to you, that one person that's listening or uh, reading. Yeah, that's a great point. And I think, again, especially if you're telling stories is, yeah, you want to have that focal point on somebody in your mind, that one person sort of in your mind that you're addressing and the use of the, the more familiar you Rather than the generic, you know, hey, companies benefit by, I agree, is is way more powerful. I, I see much more interaction, engagement with content that's sure. like that versus the sort of impersonal company. So, yes, yeah, so that's great. So, so okay, we've gone through credibility. Now we're talking about precision, I, and that's funny. You know, I, I, you know, you said knowledge leadership needs to be precise, and I, I sort of think that if it's actionable, then you're providing steps to, to implement it. And that implies a degree of precision, but I sometimes think maybe you're thinking about something different when you say precise or precision in content. So what, what do you mean by that? By precise, what I mean is precise for your audience. I guess you could put audience there. Who are we talking to? So, tar- we just, so targeted. Well, targeted, sure. Yeah. Um, we were talking about the you. Who is that you, right? Um, is it a highly technical person that knows all about computers and stuff like that, well, then that's a different conversation than we might have with the senior vice president of marketing who's really interested in the business or, or, or whatever. Or, or maybe you're talking to a small business owner as opposed to an enterprise, or you're talking to a woman as opposed to a man or a young one, a young person, a middle, millennial, say, as opposed to someone that's close to retirement age or an elderly person. All, all these factors would, should influence what you say and how you say it, even if the ideas remain the same. Yeah, right. And that's a really need to be precise. Yeah, very precise. So I'm glad you you explained it because again, very important for people listening. As you're creating content, could be just writing a blog article, could be you know filming a video. But who are you addressing it to? You really need to have that persona or that avatar. People are using the terms interchangeably these days. Defined in terms of the target, not just saying it's it's necessarily. Yeah, it's small businesses, but what type of small business owner? As you said, a man, woman, what's the age range? What are they interested in? It may seem like extra work, but it it lends a precision mm. and an authenticity, as we talked about before, and certainly credibility to your content if you have this person in mind when you're creating the content. You have to ask yourself, who am I talking to? Why should they care? And what do I want them to do when they're done reading or listening? Yeah, because once you've defined so who they are, then you can answer that all important question, which is what's in it for them, right? Yes. And when they get when they read this, you know, we've gone through several characteristics which sort of address it, but bottom line is, you know, what's in it for me or what's in it for them? Well, you sort of need to know who it is and what they're concerned about and you know who they are, have an image of who they are to make sure that you are giving them something that's important. Precisely. Exactly. Ah, no yeah. pun intended. No pun intended, right? <laughs> Not that we've been talking about precision. So, and sixth characteristic we talk about is consistent. And I'm sure you're, I, well, I shouldn't say I'm sure. 
I'm assuming what you're talking about is that and one of the great faults we see with content creation is that it's done on such a you know episodic and infrequent basis. There's, to really have power and impact in your content, it has to be produced consistently. Sure. Yeah. Fits and starts. It's like um, the old direct mail days. I guess we still use direct mail. Sure. Um, but uh, direct mail, you can send one campaign out. Say I'm a, a dentist in the local Portland area here where I am, and I want to get the all the kids in my neighborhood. And so I can target uh, to moms in southwest Portland that have kids. Um, and I can do a great color piece and I can have some value-added stuff and discounts and, I don't know, I can do a great job on that. I can send it out once and get nothing and then go back to the writer and the designers and everyone involved and say, I didn't get anything out of that campaign. I think it's a waste of time. Any direct mail person will tell you, well, you don't get anything out of one campaign. You get a, you get results out of a consistent campaign over time, say over a year or, or so forth. Um, so what I'm talking about content creation is, you know, many of my clients will, they'll issue uh, some great content and then they'll stop and they won't do anything for the bulk of the year, maybe another one, uh, and, it's, and it's fits and starts. So I think it, you need to be consistently creating good knowledge leadership content in order to be considered a knowledge leader and have that come out on a consistent basis. Um, well, I mean, and, yeah, because, I mean, the consistency really becomes important because, you know, as people are listening to the show and they're thinking about their content strategy, is the goal of the content in part is to, in large part, is to build a relationship with somebody. Yes. And so, you know, use the analogy of a relationship as you think about the frequency of your content creation is, you know, you have somebody that you stay in touch with, let's say weekly, versus someone you call twice a year. Well, what's the difference in a relationship going to be? Yes, absolutely. And so, that's that's a good way to think, I think, that's a framework I encourage people to think about it in, is that, you know, well, hey, you want to develop this relationship that you're in close, constant touch with these people and they're they're counting on you. They're counting on you to be there with something to help them. Well, a podcast is a great example of that, isn't it? Um, we make a podcast, and it's a weekly show or something, right? And mm-hmm. so you're consistent, and you, you, you're consistent over time, and you're expecting that critical mass as a knowledge leader to build, and then people do come to depend on you and so forth. W- what if you regarded a podcast as you did an episode this week and then didn't do anything for six months until the next episode came about? That, that wouldn't make much of an impact. And uh, so content creation, whether it's on a podcast or your blog or a newsletter or whatever you're doing, white papers, um, should be you know consistent there. And otherwise, otherwise, you're kind of really wasting your effort on that one time that you do it. Well, and you're sending a, a real mixed message to prospective customers when you do this. I'll give an example that I, I look for all the time. Let's say somebody approaches me about um, I don't know, being a partner or you know, something of that nature. And I'll go to their website and I'll look at their blog. Mm-hmm. And if I see that they were sort of active blogging, but then they haven't blogged for two years, I'm like, okay, what's going on here, right? right. I mean, people are going to do that. They're going to say, look, if once you start doing it, you're make, creating content. You're really making a commitment to keep it up and yes. keep doing it. And not just because you have to, but because there's a value and a benefit to you from doing that. And it's really a wasted investment if you spend time to, let's say, start a blog. And let's say you're blogging weekly or maybe twice a week. And you do that for a couple of years and then you just stop cold turkey. Well, said, if you're like me and you go to the website and you say, well, hmm. Are they, they out of business? <laughs> yeah, are they out of business? What What's going on? Are they having severe troubles? I mean... 
or what's worse is you go and you see that they started a blog and they did you know, a handful of posts, maybe all on the same day, and then didn't do anything after that. So they didn't even have a two-year history of content creation. They just had nothing, right? And then that really makes you think, well, they're not serious about being a knowledge leader. Or you'll see exactly. blogs. You'll see blogs that they're out there every on a consistent basis. But it's all, like we were saying, it's all, you know, BS, non-value added. Just It's just hype. You know, again, that's that's almost that's that's a backfire to me. Both of those things are a backfire. Don't do a blog if you're not going to be consistent. Don't do a blog if it's just going to be BS. Leave it off. It'd be better to have no blog, right? I yeah. Think. Well, and I think one of the big barriers for people with with the blogging and the consistency is they think they don't have anything to say. And here's the deal: I mean, if you're an entrepreneur, you're a small business owner, in business, even a larger enterprise. Of course you have something to say. You're you're servicing customers in a specific market, specific applications that you at one level are fairly passionate about, otherwise you wouldn't be in that business. There's an endless amount of stories to be able to tell about that that prospective customers would find valuable. So well, so never never think that gosh, there's never anything I can talk about because all you have to do is maybe pick up an industry trade publication, right? And just choose an article and you think, well, I sort of agree with that. Or maybe I don't completely agree. Write about it or film a one-minute video about it. I mean, it's something that simple. Or you see a tweet online. You're following somebody in your industry and they tweet out something. You know, you click on the link. Maybe there's a link in the tweet. You go to an article. Yeah, I sort of agree, don't agree. Well, you know, hey, I'm going to write about that. Well, and that's what I'm here for. Because many folks don't have the time or the focus or maybe even the ability to do that. You know, they're fighting fires, they're running their business, maybe they're not really a great writer or whatever. Why not hire a writer, a content creator? It doesn't have to be me. Of course it should be, but it could be anyone right. to be on your team to assist you with that. And their job would be to do just like you're saying, hey, there are lots of great stories to tell and facilitate that process, ghostwrite, create content um, on an ongoing, consistent basis. And that's the kind of program that I bring to my clients where we look at these principles at, in the content creation, but we also put together processes and systems that create consistent content uh, over different channels. We'll talk about diverse here in a second. Uh, but there, so there's an ongoing program with someone in your, in your, you know, in your, on your team on the bench there doing that and helping move that forward as you as an entrepreneur or business leader are then free to focus on the things that you need to do. Right. Which is a great point, you know, just to sort of, you know, our economies change so much, right? That you really don't do all of this yourself. No, is it even really expected that you could? So there are resources like Kevin, as we've talked about here today, yourself, that are so readily available. Yeah, I don't want to necessarily say that you're all inexpensive, but, you know, depending on there's a budget for everything, right? Completely affordable. Yeah, completely affordable. There's a resource for every budget. I've gone out and I scoped out the market in several different projects. I mean, so it's 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 available to you. There's really no excuse for not being able to create it. So we'll go to the last point, 7.7, 7, that your content has to be diverse. And again, I think what you were saying is that use more than one channel, right? Just don't, if it's just mm. a blog, just don't rely on a blog. Do something else in addition to it. 
I think it should be all of the above. You know, it should be blogging. You should be doing articles in trade magazines. You should be doing social media. You should be doing live presentations, podcasts, podca- being a podcast host, a podcast guest. I mean, all of the above. Newspapers, uh, you know, multi-channel, diverse. It's just like a stock portfolio. You want to be diversified, right? <laughs> you want to be balanced, right? You want to be balanced and diversified. And the same thing is true um, with your with your content. So if it's consistent, it's diverse, you know, you've got a program in place um, that moves it forward so that you don't do it in fits and starts. I think now you're talking about a tool that can really make a difference and impact. Right. Great advice. Okay. So we're going to move to the last segment of the show where I give you some rapid fire questions. You can give me one word answers or elaborate as you choose. Okay. Okay. All right. So first question, your business owner, what's the most powerful sales tool in your arsenal? Me, me. Um, I think that's the powerful sales tool. I think um, if I can get in front of a potential client and really have a conversation about what their needs are and what I can do, usually I can close that engagement because of just the ability to talk one-on-one with that client and, and make it happen. Yeah, it's your credibility, your authenticity, all of those things we talked about today. So second question. Now, what's one tool you use for sales management that you can't live without? Oh, for me, it's it's a thing called Schedule Once. It's or there there are others, but it's a, a web based scheduler. I do so much of my work, um, you know, vir- all my work virtually, and so being able to provide someone with a link that, like I did for this show and mm-hmm. for when we've interacted. Hey, Andy, great, no worries. Here, just click on this link, and you pick a time that is works for you that's available on my calendar. So we don't have to go back and forth and blah, blah, blah. Um, and that tool is like we were talking about, uh, resources that are affordable. I mean, for pennies, <laughs> that tool has, you know, been a, a godsend for me and for the few dollars that I spend on that service. So schedule once or something like it has been really powerful for me. Schedule once. Yes. Once or one. Okay. Schedule once. Okay. Perfect. Who's your business role model? Well, I, that's a good question. Um, I think my business is a little different, um, to be honest with you, than most. Um, I'm pretty diverse in what I do um, mm-hmm. in creating content and writing uh, and, and podcasting. And I've branched podcasting out to, you know, I, I've found a way to make money off of my ability to podcast when my was, podcast doesn't make any money. <laughs> <laughs> but is, was there someone that's inspired you, though? I, I think that um, certainly when it comes to podcasting, uh, I think... Uh, a fellow named John Lee Dumas has, has been an inspiration to me. You may have no, heard me, of him. Me too. Oh, I'm, yeah. yeah. Uh, and his, I'm his a member show. of Podcaster Paradise. Oh, okay. Well, me too. Okay. I didn't know that, Andy. Okay, great. Podcast Paradise is is really been an inspiration because of the support systems and the idea that podcasting is something that can be um, a viable business and a viable media today. Um, and so, you know, I really look up to John Lee, not necessarily for his show, although it's a great show. It's mm-hmm. different than what I do. Mm-hmm. But here's a guy <laughs> and uh, – you know he's a made he's he's become a millionaire on the back of podcasting, oh, yeah, and to me that's incredibly it, yeah. yeah. And so and talk about also a model for value added content. John mm-hmm. Lee hasn't done it without being a super value added person. He he'll be the first to say to strive to be a person of value, not a person of success. And um, so from that point of view, he's been a pretty big inspiration and model for me. Okay, excellent. Yeah, me me too. I mean, I modeled much of my podcast after him. And his resources, 
Yeah, if you join, yes. here's an example, you join a, a mastermind group and it is wall-to-wall value. I mean, there's no yes. question you're getting what you paid for. It's it's fantastic. Or more than more value than what you paid for. It's fantastic. So what's one book that every person in marketing or sales should read? Oh, wow. There's a lot of them because I talk to authors. Yours is, and not to pander, oh, yours you can, is certainly Go one. Ahead. Go ahead and pander. That's fine. <laughs> yours is certainly one and all my guests, but uh, you know, I would definitely refer to your listeners back to my show and your episode. Uh, I, I wish I had the number in front of me, but you can certainly find Andy Paul on Everyday MBA. And, um, but, but one does come to mind. Um, and it's another one of my guests. It was uh, Bonnie Harvey and Michael Houlihan, the, the founders of Barefoot Wine. Right. And uh, they have a book out called The Barefoot Spirit. And really, it's got some great stories about how they they took an, uh, they had a client, they were a business consultant, they had a client that was going uh, belly up and couldn't pay them except to give them grapes and bottling services. They were not familiar with the wine industry, but they took that opportunity and turned it into barefoot wine. And they have many great stories about how they did that along the way with some real grassroots sort of marketing and a different approach um, to the wine industry uh, at the time when it was really stuffy. I won't get into all the details, but some super great stories. And I always recommend it because of of the way that they proceeded and, and were a success, I think was unusual and a lot of great uh, tips there that can be uh, used today still. Okay. Here's a tough question. What's your favorite music to listen to to sort of get you in the mood for an important business meeting or sales call? Oh, well, <laughs> well, I'm a musician, so I love music and, and play music. Um, you know, I, I, I'm a fingerstyle guitarist, and so when I'm really needing to concentrate and get pumped up, I will put on a guy named Tommy Emmanuel. Oh, I love him. Love the, him. The Jimi Hendrix of acoustic guitar. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, Australian guy. Yeah, yeah. So Tommy E, that'd be the guy, yeah. Yeah. Well, I can recommend that, too. I, I, he's, he's on my playlist, too. Okay, cool. Uh, Great. Yeah, I love guitar. I love, like, uh, Hawaiian slack key guitar. Oh, yeah. Oh, sure, huge, sure, you bet. Huge yeah. fan of that. So. Okay, so what's the first sales activity you do every day? Oh, well, I drink coffee. Uh, that's the first thing. Um, I, <laughs> uh, you know, I do, uh, I try to be present and uh, I try to do it well. I don't know if I do. Um, on social media, I really like LinkedIn, uh, for example, which is often overshadowed by some of the other outlets. Um, but I'll, I, I get up in the morning and I, and I hang out on social media for a little bit. I'll, I'll, I'll do my tweets or I'll read my tweets and, and I'll maybe enter some tweets that I want to get out through the day. Mm-hmm. And I'll do, uh, I'll do LinkedIn and that kind of thing. Um, I may post something. That's the time when I may post something out on LinkedIn as an article or something uh, before I get too uh, sidetracked with the, the heavy lifting of the day. Perfect. Perfect. Well, good. Well, it's been great talking to you. I want to thank my guest today, Kevin Crane, CEO of the K- Crane Group and host of the podcast called The Everyday MBA. Make sure you guys look that up. And Kevin, tell folks how they can find out more about you. Well, thank you, Andy. You can find me at cranegroup.com. That's C-R-A-I-N-E, cranegroup.com. And Everyday MBA is at everyday-mba.com. Excellent. Okay, and we'll have those links on our website. So remember, people, make it a part of your day every day to deliberately learn something new to help you accelerate your success. Subscribing to this podcast on iTunes or Stitcher is an easy way to make sure that you don't miss any of our conversations with top business experts like our guest today, Kevin Crane, who share their experience and expertise about how to accelerate the growth of your business. So thanks for joining us. And until next time, this is Andy Paul. Good selling, everyone. Thanks for listening to the show. 
If you like what you heard and want to make sure you don't miss any upcoming episodes, please subscribe to this podcast on iTunes or Stitcher.com. For more information about today's guests, visit my website at andypaul.com. 